1: This is an official download from TheCustardTV.com
2: It's The Custard TV podcast. It's myself, Luke, editor of the website. You're hopefully listening to this through TheCustardTV.com joined as always by faithful podcastee, Matt.
1: I'm on it like a car bonnet every week.
2: And I appreciate that and so does the listening public, I am sure. Oh, I thought um, you were going to read some listener feedback <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't want to read any listener <laughs> feedback. It wouldn't be glowing. But I appreciate it. But on, it on says, that note, yeah. rate, review and subscribe, folks. Yes, please do. Five stars, four stars, three at a push. But just review us all, wherever you find your podcast. It doesn't necessarily have side.
1: to be... I, I suppose more we're looking for like, feedback, like word, word feedback feedback in words words man
2: just so, um, like, send us feedback in emojis
1: that's what we want while <laughs> we're in plug mode at the beginning here <laughs> uh, we are still um, looking for your votes for the british podcast awards yeah, is it it's british, british podcast, podcast awards? awards
2: forward slash, slash vote. vote and then you all go. you have to do all you have to do is find us in the long list of podcasts, the Custer TV podcast. All you have and to do is cut, type in Custer TV in the yeah, Custer TV podcast. That is all you have to do, and for the rest of the night, we will not ask anything else of you. Just do that. The rest of your time is free, as far as we're concerned. We don't want to impinge on whatever it is you're doing. How are you anyway, Matt?
1: Not much to report, really. I'm back at work this week, or week. Uh, just just
2: check in. You weren't retweeted at all this week by 80s pop star sensation Richard Marks, Richard were Marks.
1: you? No, or Lucy Davis or. Um, Pat Oswald. Pat Oswald.
2: Yeah, I went slightly viral with a thing I didn't write, which is always annoying, but grateful that. No, they, you wrote the Office thing. Yeah, I did. That Lucy Davis. Yeah, yeah, I did. But yeah, Richard Marks was a nice surprise. <laughs> were you right here waiting for him? I was. But it was a bit of a hazard, to be honest with you, and that's going to appeal to, like, two of our listeners, I think. A lot of our listeners are young, hip, and impressionable.
1: Well, I like to think so, because... Have you got the feedback? The... <laughs> Have you got the figures there? Have you got There's
2: the a lot, of, a lot of baby emojis coming in. A lot of millennials. <laughs>
0: Luke and Matt. This could be a podcast. A podcast. Don't you have to be some sort of whiz kid to do those? Uh, definitely not. Anyone with a computer can make one. Talking telly. Use your ears and trust them.
1: This is the Custard TV Podcast.
0: Yes, that would entertain me briefly. From thecustardtv.com.
2: So on the podcast this week, we've got Mo Walker. But before we get to Mo in America... We're gonna do. We've got Mo, we've got Mo in a Mo. Um, but first, we're gonna discuss the Emmy Awards, which mostly, I think, are a couple. You know, covering most of the big shows that I liked. As I long as they're catered to, see, to you, Luke. Yes, it's sort of things I wanted to see nominated in um,
1: outstanding drama. Uh, we've got Better Call Saul and uh, Bob Odenkirk, and is it Rhea
2: Seaborn? No.
1: It's yeah. Ray Seahorn Ray Seahorn, Okay. Yeah. who have been Not nominated Just the on
2: the horn there.
1: Just Ray Sehorne. Okay.
2: Ray I <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you get there with a bit of coaxing.
1: Euphoria. And we've got um, nominations for actress for Zendaya, supporting actress Sydney Sweeney, and also in the guest acting categories. Yes, I did go that deep, Luke. Coleman Domingo, who plays Ali, yes. got a guest nomination. And also, um, we were talking about it last time we spoke on the podcast, Martha Kelly playing Laurie, the yes. drug dealer.
2: Really pleased about that. Don't think she'll win it, but really pleased that that creepy, sort of caring performance that she does was noticed because it was one of my uh, favourite things about the season.
1: Then we've got Ozark with Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Julie Garner and someone called Tom Pelphrey who's in the guest acting category. Then we've got Severance with Adam Scott getting an acting nomination, supporting nominations for Patricia Arquette, Christopher Walken, and John Turturro. There are five acting nominations for Squid Game, but I do not want to pronounce it. Go them.
2: on, <laughs> go on. You managed Ray Shehold after a while. Lee Jung Jae. Okay, stop. <laughs> stop, we haven't got the time.
1: Stranger Things, which didn't get any acting nominations, and according to Luke on Twitter, wasn't eligible. I didn't for
2: this think year it was, was, but I suppose it's the, the splitting up again, that's why they yeah, did it. It's anyway. it, it sort of mid
1: June, I think, was the I was cuss off
2: succession with basically
1: everyone was nominated. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> so, Brian Cox, Jeremy Strong, Nicholas Braun, Matthew McFadden, Kieran Culkin, Sarah Sm- Snook, Jay Smith Cameron, and then in the um, the guest categories. Adrian Brody, James Cromwell, Arian Mahaid, is that how you say his name? He plays Stewie. Yeah. Alexander Sarsgaard, Harriet Walter, Hope Davis and Sanar Latham, who played Lisa Arthur, the lawyer. Yeah. And then uh, Yellow Jackets with nominations for Melanie Linsky and Christina Ricci. And then just to sort of put a little bow on it, the other acting nominations in drama. We had The Morning Show, Uh, Reese Witherspoon for lead actress, Billy Crudup for supporting actor, and Marsha Gay Harden for guest actress. And uh, Luke's um, favourite nominations of the whole thing, Sandra and Jodie Comer for Killing Eve.
2: I mean, I know it's the last time that those two could be nominated, but also I'm sure there are more joint leads in things that were either not nominated or put down as sort of supporting. Why are they joint leads? It doesn't seem fair that they should both be in the same category again for what is a terrible final season of a show, and a terrible show that shouldn't have been on past its first one. Rant done. I'm not surprised by Squid Game. The reason it's a big deal that it's there is the first ever foreign Mm. subtitled drama to be in that category. The Emmys don't normally recognise dramas outside of the US, so for a a subtitled Korean drama to be there is quite a feat, regardless of anything else. But on the whole, those categories, in Euphoria, I'm really pleased for Sydney Sweeney because she does some remarkable work and she's nominated again, Matt will tell you, for The White Lotus Mm. and I think she's just one of those actors that has either been genuinely lucky or has picked roles that really can show how diverse she can be from The Handmaid's Tale to Sharp Objects all those years ago and, and now two big shows in Euphoria and the White Lotus on HBO, and I'd be—I I mean, if anyone from euphoria is going to win, it will be Zendaya. But I'm just so chuffed that a young actress like Sydney Sweeney is mm. part of the conversation.
1: I agree. I just think, in terms of of like the entire supporting cast, maybe Maud Dapplesale made more of an impression. I mean, Eric Dane was one of the standouts mm. of this season. Yeah, we
2: don't see we don't see his name, and it's testament actually that you mentioning him, it hadn't occurred to me before you said it. That's how stacked the casts are now for these things, that I didn't even think of. Eric Dane dancing to In Excess, that never occurred to me, so yeah, I'm a bit annoyed about that. Yeah, he should have been.
1: Just playing devil's advocate, what are your two, you would replace the Killing Eve actresses then, if if you're saying they shouldn't be in here?
2: We'll leave them, just because I haven't got a smart answer. (laughs) Um, but... (laughs) I think, I think all You've them, been mouthing I, off all think, week think, on no, Twitter. But I, but no, ignore me. I would have put Sarah Lancashire in there. Sarah <laughs> for Julia. Lancashire. But, but is that but, a comedy but, but, is that a comedy? Is that sort of Is
1: that a comedy performance? Yeah, I
2: don't yeah, know. Yeah, because
1: I saw a predictions thing ahead of the nominations and they had Sarah Lancashire comedy actress. Okay. And another one that sort of straddles is Natasha Lyonne, but I think she was nominated before, wasn't she, in comedy, so...
2: Bare
1: nothing enough. nothing Miss at all in, like, the, the main categories. I mean, I, I would have liked to have seen, if they were going to nominate anyone from Stranger Things, probably Sadie Sink, who plays Max. What about the female lead from Severance? I'm sorry, I don't know her name off the top of my
2: head. I was trying to think of her name the whole time you were talking. <laughs> And you said that you
1: thought Ray Seahorn, did I get that right?
2: Yes, well done. Third time's the
1: charm. Yeah. Britt Lauer is the actress. Was, was but... lead rather than supporting? You thought? Right, well, yeah. She's
2: co- she's co-lead. She's co-lead. If Jodie Comer and Sandra Oh are the leads of Killing Eve, then Bob Odenkirk and Ray Seahorn are the leads of better. Of course, I know it's hard for you to comment on that having not seen it, but they are. Brit Lauer is the, is the lead from Seven. So those are two. your two then. Those are my two. We got there in the end with no help. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in comedy, and we'll have a look, possibly a quick look through writing and directing in a minute as well, because I was looking at those while I was waiting for you to jump on the call.
2: That's a little um, dig. You may not have noticed that. That's a little dig. Go no, on. no, it gave me some time, Luke, to, to you to know think of a dig.
1: <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So in comedy series Abbott Elementary, acting nominations for Quinta Brunson for lead actress, yeah. and then in supporting Tyler James Williams, Cheryl Lee Ralph, and Janelle James. We've got Barry, and we've got Bill Hader, Anthony Carrigan, and Henry Winkler all nominated there. Uh, we've got Kirby Enthusiasm with no acting nominations. We've got Hacks with. Gene Smart. See, this is another one. Gene Smart nominated for lead and Hannah Ambinder for supporting. That really annoyed me as well. They're They're co-leads.
2: They're co-leads. The show doesn't work without the other one.
1: There's a lot of guest acting performances there as well. We've got Christopher McDonald, Caitlin Olsen and Laurie Metcalf as well. Uh, Marvelous Mrs Maisel with nominations for Rachel Brosnahan, Alex Borstein and Tony Shalhoub only murders in the building with nominations for steve martin martin short and in the guest categories nathan lane and jane lynch but nothing for selena gomez we will talk about that probably like succession everyone is nominated for ted lasso jason sudeckis as lead and then supporting we've got brett goldstein luke's favorite nick Mohammed, Tohib jamo who plays sam hannah waddington juno temple sarah niles and then in guest performance, Harriet Walter again. And, you may as well uh, go. And another of Luke's favourites, James Lance has been nominated for an oh, Emmy. Oh
2: God, the James Lance.
1: Another one, sadly, with no acting nominations. What we do in the shadows. Quite a lot of acting nominations we've got in not nominated sort of series. Donald Glover for Atlanta. Nicholas Holtnell fanning for The Great. Kaylee, do you say Qu- Quoco? Quoco. For the flight attendant, Issa Rae for Insecure, and then you've got some uh, Saturday Night Live performers in there as well. Bowen Yang and Kate McKinnon, and Jared Carmichael was nominated in the guest performance as well.
2: Let's talk about Selena Gomez not being there because I don't think I would enjoy that show to the degree I do if it was just Martin Short and Steve Martin. Yes, they're a great double act, yes, they are part of the reason why the show works. But the the lightning-in-the-bottle chemistry that they seem to have strangely with Selena Gomez is what makes that show and elevates it into something into the special category for me because I think they just gel and bounce off each other. She keeps it contemporary. I think it's bonkers that she got an exec producer nomination. People are going, well, at least she's the first Latina to, to be nominated in that category. But she's not nominated in the lead comedy actor. That seems nuts. It's to me. a weird
1: category because, as we said, like Sarah Lancashire, Natasha Leone, Hannah Einbinder, possibly. There are tons be missing there. from this. Pamela Adlon.
2: I would give it a Katie Cuoco. She was nominated last time for the flight attendant. To be mm. fair, I've not seen the second season yet. I keep meaning to and keep getting distracted with other stuff. My biggest disappointment outside of Selena Gomez was I was almost certain. Bridget Everett would have gotten a nomination Mm. because that feels like such an Emmy show. It's quiet, Mm. it's delicate, it's personal. Rachel Brosnahan still doing great, noteworthy things on The Marvellous Mrs. Maisel, but I think the conversation around that and its award status has been already set in stone. So give somebody like Bridget Everett coming into TV comedy for the first time ever with such a deeply personal human performance which is predictably all the sort of things that I gravitate to, let her be nominated at least so that mm. people are aware of the show existing.
1: Sarah Goldberg as well.
2: Yeah, that is a massive misto. She's always incredibly mm. powerful in Barry, but this season I thought... It Maybe really it's just they don't her. know
1: where to put her because is she co-lead? Is she supporting what we do in the shadows as well? The whole ensemble works off each other, so it's hard to sort of isolate one, isn't it? I mean, Matt Barry for me. But, you know, again, that I, I wasn't massively into that season last year, but he sort of is always a standout for me. In limited series, Dope Sick acting nominations for Michael Keaton, Will Poulter, Peter Sarsgaard, Michael Stuhlbarg, Caitlin Deaver and Mare Winningham. The Dropout with the nomination for Amanda Seyfried, Inventing Anna with the nomination for Jennifer Garner, Pam and Tommy no, with nominations no, 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 no. no. Not Jennifer Garner. Julia Julia Garner. Garner. Pam and Tommy, Sebastian Stan, Lily James and Seth Rogen nominated. And another one where the entire cast was nominated was The White Lotus.
2: There needs to be an an ensemble award really, doesn't there? This is what we're learning. Murray Bartlett, Jake
1: Lacey, Steve Zahn, Sydney Sweeney, Jennifer Coolidge, Connie Britton, Alexandra Daddario and Natasha Rothwell. We've also got nominations acting-wise for... The Staircase for Tony Collett and Colin Firth, Andrew Garfield for Under the Banner of Heaven, Oscar Isaac for Scenes from a Marriage, Himish Patel for Station Eleven, Sarah Paulson for Impeachment, and Margaret Qualley for Maid. God, there's good telly on.
2: That's what I take away from that. I'm just going to say, I wonder why there's only five in
1: this and there's like eight in drama and... The Emmys are
2: weird. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I don't. I've never understood. I've never pretended yeah. to understand... We don't need any more nominations for the White Lotus, and I know it's a show you and I vehemently disagree on, and we don't often. But I like the
1: performance. No, we don't
2: vehemently disagree on it. We
1: but do. I I I li- oh, said it now. I liked so it's the in performances.
2: The, the only I, one missing is Brittany O'Grady, who I thought gave a really strong performance, and I perhaps would have swapped her out with Connie Britton. She was Sydney Sweeney's friend who has this relationship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she gave a more powerful performance. I think the show was more about her and her reaction to being with this sort of family full of white privilege and how she felt about being on the island of Oahu and how that affected her relationship. I think I would have swapped her out from Comedy Britain. But yeah, the White Lotus, congratulations on all your nominations that you deserve. Uh there is a, sort of a lack of Apple
1: Apple TV Plus shows here. That's very true. Um, I think they put a lot behind Ted Lasso, Severance and The Morning Show. Last Days of Ptolemy Grey, Dominique Fishback in that. Really good performance. Samuel Jackson, I'm surprised given his prominence. Get rid of Oscar Isaac. Yeah. And actually, I'll tell you someone else who should be in there. And again, maybe what category should she be in? Beanie Feldstein.
2: Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. There's so many,
1: like Judith Light in that, and Mm. um, what's the name? The actress who played uh... Paula.
2: No, I can see her. Her name is Anna Lee Astrid, and that requires. Yes, Anna Lee Astrid. See, I think
1: they could let go of some of those White Lotus and Dope Sick nominations and possibly put some of the impeachment crew in there as well. Last Days of Ptolemy Gray. I mean, I haven't finished it yet, but Panchiko as well.
2: I'm, I'm very disappointed that that wasn't... Essentially, Again, just doesn't... Essentially pachingo, so you Pachinko. Got... Pachinko.
1: I knew <laughs> I'd said it wrong as soon as I'd said That's it. That's good. At least uh, you're learning. As I say, it just feels like Apple put its thing behind, like, three shows yeah. and then everything yeah. else, because, you know, we've watched basically everything on Apple Their TV entire watched, slate. So. Yeah. But, but Made yeah. as well, you would have liked to yeah, have seen.
2: but Margaret Qualley, she was that show, and I'm pleased she was nominated. Pachinko's a weird one that feels like it was made for awards love and just hasn't mm. received any for whatever reason. Well, they can only do
1: one uh, subtitle yeah. show, Luke. That's not yeah, going up.
2: It got into title sequence, and it does not a did. Great...
1: We it might talk about great... that in a minute because I've got some side awards. But it does should have we just quickly
2: title sequence? So I'm happy yeah. about
1: that. Let's quickly have a quick look at the writing and maybe the directing award, yeah, shall yeah. we? Writing for drama, plan and execution. Better call Saul.
2: Brilliant.
1: Um, brilliant. Ozark, a hard way to go. The we we are is that the first episode of Severance?
2: Also, where's the girls' five ever cast, Matt? Mm.
1: Not, not there, Ellie.
2: Not there. Yeah, it's the finale. The yeah. We We Are is the finale. Yeah. One of my favourite episodes of TV at all this year.
1: One lucky day from Squid Game, the season finale of Succession, all the bells yeah. say. Two episodes of Yellow Jackets. The pilot episode. And F sharp.
2: That's strange. So they've nominated the pilot and the second episode of the series. Yeah. That is strange.
1: And over in the writing for comedy, we've got Pilot of Abbott Elementary, two episodes I hope you, you know from Barry's, 710, 710N. 710? And starting now, it's the eighth and final episode. Oh, is it? Okay. The sixth episode is 710N, so I don't know if that's the one that's got the... Biking sequence, the chase. It does,
2: sequence. oh my word, yes, it does. How you write that, crikey.
1: The final episode of the second season of Hacks, mm-hmm. the one, the only. The first episode of Only Murders in the Building, True Crime. From Ted Lasso, No Weddings and a Funeral, which you will probably know from that. that's the one where they all sing Rick Astley at a funeral. <laughs> and um, two episodes of What We Do in the Shadows as well, which is good. The casino episode. Yeah. And the Wellness Centre episode.
2: Yeah,
1: yeah. Good. Good. Happy, um, And six episodes in the uh, limited anthology series or movie category. Dope Six got a nomination in there. The Dropout's got a nomination in there. Impeachment has got a nomination for the writing. Man Handled is the episode. An episode of Maid called Snaps. Mm. Uh, Unbroken Circle from Station Eleven. Yeah. And then... The White Lotus, and it hasn't given an episode, so... I don't, <laughs> I don't, no, I
2: don't the... think they had episode titles, so maybe that's why. What... All right,
1: but nice to see Impeachment and made in there, and Station Eleven getting some love in the writing. Directing, again, we've got uh, that episode of Barry, 710N, that episode of uh, Only Murders in the Building, as well as The Boy from 6B, which was the one that we really liked with the, 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 sign, the language. sign language. The sign language. That episode of Ted Lasso that I just mentioned. Episode of Atlanta called New Jazz. Yes. A different episode of Hacks called There Will Be Blood. I think that's the... Is that the second episode?
3: No, it's the first,
1: isn't it, I think? Yeah, first. Because the UFC thing. In terms of directing for drama, three episodes of Succession. All the Bells Say The Disruption, and Too Much Birthday. The pilot of Yellow Jackets, The final episode of Severance, which we already talked about. The red light, green light episode of Squid Game. And the episode of Ozark called A Hard Way to Go. And the limited series direction. Again, we've got the White Lotus. Made two episodes of The Dropout. Dope Sick and uh, Station Eleven, Wheel of Fire. Was that the first episode, Wheel I of believe,
2: Fire? I believe so. No, Wheel of Fire was the, was the pilot.
1: Yes, yeah, what I said, wasn't it? Yeah. The first and episode.
2: So I'm agreeing. Uh,
1: yeah, but there's some interesting ones there as well with that, you know, that Barry episode. The Too Much Birthday episode of Succession was
2: one of the... I need to re-watch that. It's so good,
1: yeah. Now I've got just a couple of uh, ones. I always love how many Emmy there are. I
2: know.
1: Like Animated Program, The Simpsons is still there. It's like... The Simpsons is still okay. on. Character Go on. voiceover. Go on. Two posthumous nominations in here. Chadwick Boseman yeah. in the what if thing, and Jessica Walter for Archer.
2: Oh, wow. Okay, interesting.
1: Also, Julie Andrews for Bridgerton, because she just does the
2: narration on that. Why not? <laughs> this is one of my favourites. Non character voiceover. Well, so just somebody talking in their own. Like we're doing now, this is non character voiceover. It's, right? it's documentaries, basically. Okay. So I don't know who
1: W. Kamal Bell is, who apparently did We Need to Talk About Cosby, but the other four, listen to this lineup. Go on. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, David Attenborough, Lupita Nyong'o and Barack Obama.
2: That's my dream dinner <laughs> party. That's my favourite category. <laughs> yes, yeah. I just think that would be a very <laughs> educational room to be in.
1: I've done some of the production design ones just because I thought these were quite I interesting. I was
2: gone a long time before. <laughs> before i was able to get on the call go on the flight attendant ozark severance squid game
1: succession for the too much birthday episode and the white lotus these are production design for a narrative contemporary drama one hour or more
2: i reckon they all fit that bill well
1: the half hour does include only murders hacks ted lasso
2: what's the united states of Owl? i don't know is Russian Doll not there? Because that is the most visually ex- exciting show I can think of. No,
1: it's not in production design, but it is in cinematography. Okay. Cinematography for a single camera series: Al- Atlanta, Barry, hmm. Gronish, Hacks, Insecure, and Russian Doll. Okay. You mentioned main titles earlier with Pachinko in there with Severance, Only Murders. And I was, again, was watching some of these because I didn't know any of these. Candy, Cowboy Bebop, Foundation,
2: and Lisa's Story. I mean, you know it's not my wheelhouse, and I don't. you've seen mm. them all now, and I don't know what you'd remove. Yeah. Peacemaker. I loved the opening title yeah. sequence to Peacemaker. That was fun. And I doubt something like the Jessica Biel true crime story... that's very like mad
1: men-esque a lot of like those sort of people running and jumping on things like catch me if you can that sort of old school having the cowboy bebop one i really liked and the main title music oh only murder severance and the white lotus are all in there luke what do you do now you said luke that the girls five ever cast where were they
2: where are they there's no Girls' Five
1: ever in the original song category, and I had no idea oh, the so Emmys had an on. original song category. And they weren't nominated last year either.
2: We need BPE to be in there, or um, the one of that stars. Four stars, yeah. four stars. Four stars, yeah.
1: That's it. And the Emmys are tenth of September, which is a Monday, weirdly. I don't know why. I that think matters. they have been Mondays in the past certainly weeknights
2: that is the emmy so you can catch all our coverage and we'll do predictions closer to the time
1: now we'll uh, start the review section and first we will be talking about better things uh it is returning to bbc2 for its final season i believe luke is it all on the iplayer
2: it's all on the iplayer matt because there'll
1: be people listening to this who don't really know what better things is bizarrely even though it's You know, it's all on the iPlayer and has been there ad infinitum, really. So what is Better Things, Luke? Can you describe it to the the listeners?
2: Better Things is a US comedy that lives in the US on FX. It stars and is written and co-created by Pamela Adlon and it is loosely based on her life as an actress in California who lives next door to her British mother, here played by Celia Imre. With three teenage daughters all struggling with various things of going through teens, trying to keep a roof over their head whilst acting and getting minor roles in this and that. She's been in the acting business most of her she was, life.
1: She was like a former child star and a voiceover artist, yeah. wasn't she? Which
2: is what she is in real life as well. So the, the line uh, the... Bobby Hill, yeah. wasn't she? Yeah. So the lines blur constantly and it's not a comedy in the sense of you know, laugh out loud. Luke it's a hates hangout this word. comedy.
1: Dramedy.
2: Yeah, it is a dramedy, and I I don't like the word. But what I see it more as is like a hangout with them. It's like somebody puts mm. a, a camera in that um, house or wherever they are, and you just hang out with Pamela Adlon as Sam Fox here and the three daughters. I've seen the entire fifth season, which is its final one, because I couldn't wait. And because he's naughty. It. Because I'm and I didn't know when and if or what platform it was landing on. What do you make of the first three episodes of the final season that you watch for the podcast? So as Luke
1: said, you know, this is about her relationship, Sam's relationship with her three daughters. You said teens, they're all teens now, maybe uh, the yeah. oldest daughter Max is early 20s now, I'm not yeah. sure. yeah. So I think the abiding theme of this season seems to be all the daughters are sort of flying the nest or will be soon... They're spending less time now with Sam. She's re-evaluating the next part of her life, really, isn't it? That's sort of mm. the general, if there was a story, that's the story of this season, I think, from watching the first three episodes. It's good, and it's, it's sort of more of the same, really. I think, you know, Pamela Adlon is excellent at well, sort of playing herself, really, isn't yeah. she? Playing this. I think she's a great physical performer as well she uses all of her body i don't yeah. know if you, you know what i mean i know what like, you mean she, yeah maybe that sort of comes from being a voiceover artist and having to sort of do those actions that nobody sees to do you know what do you know what i'm yeah. saying i'm to making sort of, sense here.
2: to sort of exa- over exaggerate exaggerated
1: things. exactly yeah. yeah and and for example there's a scene where she is going to try on like a period costume for, I think it's a film, isn't it, rather than a yeah. series. Yeah. And she's trying on all these different things and is being lost in this world. A lot of it is hanging out with Sam, hanging out with the daughters. I think the most notable sort of bit of story is that Max has an abortion in the third episode and is certainly where I am yet to tell her mum. It's the friend, Rich. I rich played by rich, the great David spader yeah yeah so that's the, the main story but it's it is just spending time in the company of these characters and i think by this point if you've stuck with them you, you like spending time with these characters i suppose my criticism of it in the past has been maybe it's a little bit too meandering and maybe there's elements of it here not all of it sticks i mean there's the thing where she finds out that her granddad wasn't who she thought he was or something, yeah. or a great-granddad. There's that genealogy thing. Not yeah. all of that. It's almost, not a sketch show, but almost like all these Vignettes. disparate things in her life. What I would say is if you like scenes of people cooking food, then this is the show for you. We've said this
2: about a couple of shows, but it's it's another one of those shows where you just stick it on. It's like a warm hug. You're invited into this person's house and you just sort of hang out with them. There are some really touching moments this season. The whole family goes to London with Celia Imrie's character to sort of investigate members of the members of the family that she hasn't met, like you said. And there's a whole whole three episodes. The final three episodes are set in London and they are really moving and cleverly done and and feel a bit different to the rest of the series because they do have a narrative running through them and there's some proper sort of teary moments that I felt really choked up by. It is a warm hug and there's not many shows like it. I think what I took away from it this series is how the girls had all matured and they respect her more, you know, having having left the nest as it were, that the older two, they can see things more from her perspective. As you say, Max has this abortion which does cast a shadow over the series and i loved the way they dealt with it i think they dealt with it beautifully delicately it wasn't over dramatic i thought it was really handled really well and i think when she does finally tell her mum i think that's a beautiful scene and one of my favorites for the whole series when we tweeted that this was coming back i did get a lot of responses from people saying yes it's been too long but I do still feel like the BBC are unaware that they have a little hidden gem that they don't mm. quite know how to promote. They don't quite know where to put it. They don't quite know what the audience is, so they plunk it all on iPlayer, and and people thankfully have found it and gravitated towards yeah, it. Yeah, my mum found
1: it. Wow. <laughs> I've she told, she you, this I've I, told I, you this yeah, before. Yeah, I
2: thought you pointed it to her. I didn't. Think no,
1: no, 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 it. no, 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 no. she and she asked me if I'd seen it, and I was like, yeah, I've seen. It. Yeah. I I uh, assumed you. I think button. maybe the selling point for her maybe Celia Imrie being in it, who's a familiar name to sort of British audiences. Yes,
2: it feels like nothing else you've seen on TV, and maybe it does meander a bit, as Matt says. But I'm, I don't really care. It's just a beautiful little gem of a show that, like I say, is really hard to sell. It's sort of the thing where you'll either sit down with it and it will gel with you, or you won't understand quite why we're waxing lyrical about it and the more i think about it the more i think it is such a shame that pablo adelon wasn't nominated for an emmy and i was trying to think has she ever been nominated for this i know i should have looked this up but it's just. i think she mind. has been
1: nominated for um acting before but not uh, like as a writer or a director she has won one Emmy, though, Luke, because I went into a bit of a rabbit hole for uh, voiceover for Bobby Bob, Bobby Hill, King of the Hill. Well,
2: I would say that this is slightly better than that. That's all I'd say. Mm. Be- <laughs> better Things is all available now, should you want to point your face at it. It is on the iPlayer, and it will be airing in double bills uh, Sunday nights across BBC Two. Uh, from 10 p.m.
0: Talking Telly on the Custard TV podcast. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? Let's do it! Ready? Here we go.
2: This is Mo Walker. Hello, Mo.
0: It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfedorg free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member
3: of PenFed, insured by NCUA. Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself make new friends and savor our live and let live vibe with lgbtq plus friendly accommodations our legendary nightlife and year-round activities and events it's always a good time to come as you are key west close to perfect far from normal
2: hi thanks for having me you are more than welcome um what time do you
1: call this mo? We've been you know yeah. we've been here for about half an hour already.
4: It's 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 3:36 am, lying.
2: Mo has his own podcast when he's not appearing on ours. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about geek confidential what you've been up to?
4: We've been more or less covering the genre shows. We had a recent podcast uh, covered the first portion of the Star Trek um Strange New Worlds. The recently concluded disney plus series miss marvel uh we've other c- covered a couple movies as well that have been in theaters the new jurassic world movie and dr strange film that re- came out earlier this summer as well we're on a uh, geek confidential uh is we have a twitter page we have a facebook page we actually have a facebook group the podcast it- itself can be found on most podcatchers.
2: i'm on twitter at luke custer tv matt's on twitter at matt tv bites and though he's not a qualified gp as of time of recording mo can be found on twitter at
4: dr mo 77
2: you missed earlier me and luke ran through
1: the emmy nominations uh but given your area of expertise we have got one for you here the outstanding fa- fantasy and sci-fi costumes that i would like your your view on and, and okay. your prediction. So the nominees are The Book of Boba Fett, Loki, Moon Knight, Star Trek, Picard, What We Do in the Shadows, and The Witcher.
4: I, I would probably go with The Witcher. Okay. It's a Netflix show, so it has, has a higher budget. Uh, Henry Cavill is the lead of that. Just because of the high-end the fantasy elements. Here's the thing about The Book of Boba Fett. I think that...
2: Is it the same thing that the thing about Pam is? Because we're going to get to that. Is that a different thing to the thing about Boba Fett?
4: (laughs) The thing about Boba Fett is is that it's like there's only so many times that you can have people hanging out in, in the sand and just wearing basically some armor and scarves and stuff but a
2: better question is which costume out of those do you think you could pull off if you had to go to work in one of those costumes every day as a uniform which could could a young Mo wear with confidence and look good in
4: probably something from Star Trek Picard
2: (laughs) what you think that's work attire that you could pull off and everyone would go yeah you look good today Mo very very Picard-esque
4: yeah actually I, I think I could pull that off
1: and my answer would be what we do in the shadows and i dress as colin robinson
4: <laughs> yeah so yeah i like that is more or less suitable appropriate work attire that's it's, the joke mo but that but here's the thing the joke is is that i don't necessarily I want to think be stretched beyond what I usually right. have to wear because I have yeah. plenty of plenty of those like sweaters that he has as well. Mm-hmm. I got a few of them in my closet as well. Matt, so Matt has uh, proven
2: he's the energy vampire of the podcast, completely killing uh, that question dead. Well, I think you are really, aren't you? <laughs> well, true. I'm not here enough this week on the podcast. A new BBC drama called The Control Room, which, if you're listening to this on day of release, is all available on iPlayer. Then two count them. One two. two, one two. Uh, fr- from the Paramount Plus over here in the UK, The Thing About Pam, which actually aired on NBC earlier in the year, and Showtimes, I Love That For You, which is a comedy we'll talk about. I'll start with what is the only big UK drama this week to cover, which is The Control Room. The title refers to the ambulance control room that takes 999 calls for members of the public in distress. Ian Dicastic, De- Oh, see, I looked this up, and now I'm going to mess it up. Ian DeCaster, DeCaster or something? Yeah, Ian. Was Ian
4: DeCaster.
2: Well, yeah. yeah, it's going to be one of them. Ian DeCaster stars as Gabriel, who we first meet when he's taking a phone call from a man. He's broken down on the side of the road. His wife's going into labour. He's obviously in distress. Gabe talks him through the procedure and helps him deliver the baby before the ambulance crew arrive. As a sign of their gratitude, the new parents name their son after him. His next call, though, comes from a woman in panic, telling a game that killed someone. He alerts the police, but keeps her talking while his colleagues listen in. And after a few moments, the woman appears to recognise, and she calls him Gabo. Yeah, Gabo. She calls. I think <laughs> that sounded Yeah, you got that right. Hom- it sounded somewhat homophobic. That was the. It sounded somewhat homophobic when I said it, and I didn't mean to. It didn't sound that way in the Scottish accent. Gabo. Yeah, exactly, no, it didn't sound bad. <laughs> she then hangs up the phone, leaving everyone in limbo as to who she is and what the connection to Gabe might be. He seems to know who it is, and then we get flashbacks of a young girl he knew when there were children called Samantha Tommy. It's a name that brings up demons from his past and even a name that his own father can't bring himself to mention. We then see Gabe in flashback when the woman rings back, it sends him into panic and he has to run away from his desk he tells his colleagues he's going to be sick and again we see in flashbacks that he's been to a therapist when he was young he always says he's sick he uses that a lot it stems from his mother's death when the woman does wing back though uh... he gets in touch with her he finds this Sam they meet up in an abandoned shed they used to go to when they were children she tells him that she's killed her abusive partner Hitting him on the back of the head with a dumbbell and now that he's in the back of the van. She wants Gabe to take the van, move it. Even though he tells I'm not going to do that, I'm going to go to the police. He eventually has a change of heart because this is a drama and that needs to happen. Otherwise, she goes to the police, that's the end of the episode. He agrees to move this body, he goes to a flat which is surrounded by police. He manages to get himself into the flat, find the keys to the van nearly getting a car accident, which was by far the most exciting and unexpected thing that happened. He manages to put the van in a lockup garage. He tells a colleague he knows this woman from when they were children and says, please don't tell anybody, I'm trying to help her. The colleague at the call centre says, I'll keep your secret if you agree to do something for me. And uh, it's just clear that he's going to get in more and more of a mess. From my point of view, it's another... Switch your brain off, let it wash over you, three-part drama
3: that... Here in Key West, we were out before it was in. In this open and inclusive paradise, you can be yourself, make new friends, and savour our live and let live vibe. With LGBTQ plus friendly accommodations, our legendary nightlife, and year-round activities and events, it's always a good time to come as you are. Key West. Close to perfect. Far from normal.
0: The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization.
4: Earned great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers slash usbp.
2: Doesn't need to be set in the ambulance control room. That's a bit of a contrivance to get this girl to call him. It's completely daft and... Not prestigious TV in any way, but as Matt always says, people need something at 9 o'clock just to watch. It's another example of that. It didn't grip me at any point. I didn't believe it at any point. I didn't care about it at any point. But as I try to remember what Matt says, people don't always have to. It's just there to watch and and enjoy. Three parts, it's just going to get more and more messy for Gabe, more and more contrived, I'm sure... More and more flashbacks as we understand who these people are and what his childhood was like. But just the sort of drama that the BBC seems to be able to make in their sleep that has little effect on me. and I've not thought about it since finishing. Um, Mo, we'll go to you first. Agree or disagree with anything that came out of my mouth?
4: There is a bit of a contrivancy about the plot. But from my perspective, I'm coming into this, oh, it's, it's Ian DeCastor. I've been a fan of his, going back to the Fades, to mm. Marvel's Agents of Shield, and even a little bit of Coronation Street when it was on there.
2: I he was it. young, Corey.
4: He was a young Adam Barlow.
2: Oh, okay. If you got your podcast card and you had Adam Barlow, make sure you tick that off because that's not going to come up. If again. you had yeah.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I'm coming into this with a bit of goodwill, and I think the last thing I remember him in was Roadkill with Hugh Laurie. And so I'm perfectly fine. I think that in in some ways, seems like you just hold on and you don't let go. Uh, I will say that I do feel like the flashbacks, they were somewhat helpful to provide some additional context to flesh out the character relationships and so forth. But again, just him working the uh, call center, it's just a way, A, to get Sam and and Gabe to reconnect and create additional conflict because there's going to be conflict with his coworkers because he's in a casual relationship with Taja Atwal's character. I, I don't know if it feels like in somewhat his supervisor, Anthony, if that character is jealous of that relationship or what. But clearly there's some something going on, I feel like, between the three of them. I think, like you said, it's one of those shows you just turn your brain off, you watch it, and you're either going to enjoy it because it's supposed to come out in rapid succession and you'll just probably forget about
2: it two weeks from now. Matt, is this another one where Aye. I'm... Over... <laughs> Hi. Hi. Is this another one where I'm overanalyzing it and I should stop it and just accept that this is the sort of drama that people want on a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday... A Sunday, Monday and Tuesday? or no, this I... was
1: dull as dishwater. Thank this you, was Matt. really dull. <laughs> <laughs> Those sort of shows that you're talking about are at least sort of heightened... This really didn't know what it wanted to be. If it wanted to be that sort of tense thriller or if it wanted to be sort of a more sort of human story about these two young people who, you know, have this quite intense relationship as children and then what happens when they reconnect. I was just um, having a look while you you were both speaking about why it was set in a control room and I'm just reading this interview that, the BBC have done with the writer called Nick Leather, which is an amazing name. I feel um, like that's and... made
2: up. I don't feel
3: like... <laughs> there's you no, think there's sort of just... a, a pseudonym to uh, protect yeah. him from being the writer I think of the he, I think group. he used to work um, at DFS.
2: And he's probably ended up with that nickname somewhere.
1: <laughs> he's basically saying he went to wake up his daughter one morning and she, he couldn't because, to quote here, she was just floppy. They called 999, and in a desperate few minutes, I realised sort of how profoundly the person on the other end of the line can help you and affect you. The manner is so important, it is quite an intense relationship for a few minutes. Uh, so basically, he wanted to write something about a relationship between a handler and a caller.
2: I agree and... with that. That would be an interesting drama. Unfortunately, what he's effectively written is a thing where the control room part of it is so not the important or interesting part that he's gone for this could have just as easily been somebody ringing someone randomly on a phone anywhere it doesn't have, it could work mm. in a call center and get this phone call i i i
1: think what would have helped is uh, again as we say you know a couple of scenes before he got that call from from sam you know what do we know about him we saw him help with the you know with the pregnant lady and then we had the brief scene, as Mo mentioned, his relationship, uh, sort of casual relationship with his co-worker. And then the third scene is him getting the call and then all the flashback stuff. That scene in the car that you mentioned, Luke, went on far too long. Mm. The stuff from the past. I mean, it, it's sort of a variation of a Luke special, but I've noticed it quite a lot recently. It's sort of the memory type thing where you get them remembering moments that we'll see later on in full... But we're just going to sort of tease you like Sherwood did it quite a lot. And this used that a lot, a lot more. And it feels like just a way to sort of extend things by showing that and then showing it again later on. But yeah, I I mean, it, is it Joanna van Vanderham who played yes. yeah. Sam? That performance was bizarre, yeah, you know. They
2: it, always are they always are bizarre but this i mean at least something like
1: i mean just off the top of my head our house for example that was stupid but it sort of i i can see why someone would want to sort of like like the page turn of the the, the holiday novel this was more like the holiday which i we put Mo through before gods
2: you will not <laughs> let that go you will not let that go that's gonna be weird <laughs> um, Do you know what's funny matt you know, I go on about the Netflix effect. That is now on Netflix. It's trending mm. number five in the UK because people think it's, it's like, Netflix. Original. I heard
1: someone recommend Motherland the other day. Yeah. Oh, it's all on Netflix. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's been on iPlayer for years. Yeah. Luke, you're saying this in a roundabout way, but there were so many coincidences. Things just uh, happened contrivances. at the right time. Yes, contrivances. It reminded me a little bit because they, they see have seemingly sort of put this on in the, I don't know if it was like a BBC Scotland job originally and it sort of transitioned over here or, because it reminds me when, like, this is going back about 10 years now, but do you remember when they put the Field of Blood on yes. over the Sun Because it was yeah. sort of like an iPlayer hit and then they did it with the second series or what was the Eve Miles
2: thing? Because that
1: was like a BBC Wales drama. Keeping,
2: keeping Faith. Keeping faith. Do you know how but annoyed it's... I am that all these mediocre things are in my brain? I don't need <laughs> them there.
1: <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like a subsidiary BBC drama being put on in the summer to fill some of those hours up. And it will. It, it, I, I know th- this week, um, yeah. as we were talking about off mic, with the stifling heat, people will just will be s- literally stuck to their sofas. <laughs> <laughs> like. Perhaps that's why he's
2: subliminally named Nick Leather
1: <laughs> I think that's the guy's actual name Luke But yeah I mean it. unless Just playing devil's advocate at the moment Because I will not watch any more of this
4: No, no But
1: either. just a little bit more maybe in the control room In the next couple of episodes now They've involved that other guy Who's obviously got a secret as well might, I think they're it's just might... going to get
2: more and more contrived Because he's going to have secret mm. on top of a secret On top of secret mm. surely yeah. I keep thinking back to a conversation I had on Twitter a while ago with screenwriter Sophie Petzl, who worked on Blood and has got something in development at Netflix. And Hollington Drive? At, yeah, Hollington Drive. And I was saying to her, well, and, and to the wider Twitter community, I'm just bored of ITV, BBC One, Channel 4, whichever it is, it's just recommissioning things that were... were Envisioned, I believed anyway, rightly or wrongly. Like Sherwood, like Sherwood, Sherwood like the Respondent, uh, like the tourists. Tourists, yeah. Vigil. And and she just said everybody just wants thrillers, specifically ones that do well and connect with people. So I can imagine Mister Leather going to some BBC executive saying that he wants to do this interesting, tense drama about the connection between a control room. Call taker and the the tenseness over the phone, and then it becoming without much of his control this thriller that yeah. it evolved into. It didn't really feel very cohesive. The control room was always secondary. There was a film to bring him up. There was a film on Netflix recently with Jake Gyllenhaal, which I think was a remake of an Israeli film where uh, he was working in an ambulance control room. He kept and years ago.
1: The cool with Halle Berry and Abigail Breslin.
2: Yeah, that's what I thought this would be. I thought it would be set in the control room, he's having these conversations, they get more and more intense, it's perhaps entering into his personal life and eating him away inside, but no, we get this contrived thriller that feels completely disconnected from its premise, that feels like it could have been set anywhere, performed by anyone, written by anyone... I'm just sick of these forgettable three-part dramas that add nothing to conversation, and I appreciate that more people will sit down at 9 o'clock to watch this or perhaps binge it on iPlayer at their leisure, but we've got to move on from this type of TV that we've been talking about for but years.
1: As like, you've just have... said, that's what the controllers want, and that's what's getting ratings, and I think in terms of ITV, that's what advertising... You know, if you say... This is like this, which was popular and a lot of people watched. Uh You know, as much as you don't like it, Luke, TV is a commercial thing. And your point you were making on Twitter about the single series with the sort of the full stop at the end. As Sophie was saying to you, you know, writers don't get more than one series orders normally. So they don't know.
2: That's a big mistake. Isn't it? Yeah, if that, things that's are not coming thinking back. Forward. That's not being no. able to think, I think forward. I think, like,
1: Line of Duty was lucky that, you know, it's set in somewhere where you can sort of do that procedural so they could bring that back quite easily. And i that...
2: the same the same hmm. the same, thing. Yeah. If
1: you'd like to watch
2: the control. <laughs> <laughs> it's so iPlayer on iPlayer now. now. Next up, though, it's about to get animated. We're going over to Paramount Plus where Matt's going to walk us through. The early stages of true crime drama, believe it or not, The Thing About Pam. So, yeah, this is The Thing About Pam. It uh, tells the story
1: of the murder of Betsy Farrier in December 2011. It's based, as a lot of dramas this year have been, on a podcast from Dateline NBC. And it's narrated, I know you could possibly fill in the gaps here, Keith Morrison, who's on Dateline NBC. Is that right?
4: That's correct. If you're familiar with Dateline, that is that voice that is synonymous with it. And and also before it was a podcast, it was an episode or episodes of Dateline. Dateline does those uh, these sort of true crime documentaries and some reenactments mm. and so forth.
1: To be honest with you, I thought it was John Goodman until so I was <laughs> <laughs> Faria was found murdered in her home by her husband Russ. He makes a 911 call, uh, but because it's sort of overblown over the top, everyone immediately points the finger at him as the prime suspect. Also, the fact he believes that she's committed suicide despite her having an, a knife in her neck. And I believe it was, was it 51 times she was stabbed or something like that? The scenes in the drama basically suggest that uh, Betsy's friend, Pam Hupp, who's played here by uh, René Zellweger, who is a house flipper, Maybe the actual culprit has several of her actions throughout the drama. She's the last person to see uh, Betsy alive before the murder, almost like they're providing alibis for the evening, and the, and the voiceover sort of leads us to this as well. When Pam's questioned by the police following the murder, she tries to make the police sort of overly suspicious of Russ, saying things about his temper and stuff like that. Uh, but despite her account of the night, it features several contradictions and... You know what we've seen before so that's sort of the thing about pam luke did you know about this case because i know when we spoke about the the girl from plainville you were very familiar with it i'm a
2: documentary with? rather than an nbc documentary oh, so no I, I wasn't aware of this i am i'm a snob and i'm happy about it
1: <laughs> Now I, 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 wrote,
2: I wrote down
1: specifically here this had a voiceover a yes. Luke special, yes. and Renee Zellweger doing the funny voice within the first two minutes. I know. How did you get on with it?
2: <laughs> well, I hadn't seen past those. But... <laughs> no, <I did. laughs> We've been saturated specifically this year with this genre. True crime, their podcasts, then their documentaries, then those documentaries or podcasts turn into these things. But when they're done well, like the Dropout was, like Dope Sick was, like The Staircase was... I am a bit of a sucker for them. The criticism... The act they, as well. The act, of Sorry. course, yeah. The criticism they often get, which I rally against, is are they disrespectful to the victim and the victim's families? I always tend to rally against that. But here, I couldn't quite believe what I was watching was the story of a real woman who died, and they were telling it in almost this pushing daisies, fantastical way. It felt... Really disrespectful to the family of, of uh, the woman who was killed. It was really tonally off-putting. In fact, there's an opening sequence where Renée Zellweger sort of dances and sings about her family at the start. It actually sounds like the Pushing Daisy's voiceover as well, so it's really disconcerting. I just couldn't get a handle on what it was trying to be. It was trying to stand out from all these dour, dark, creepy true crimes that we've had but it did it completely wrong i i've never seen anything that felt like it was taking the mick out of this woman who had died it was bizarre the performance sorry
1: i I forgot to mention was that she had terminal cancer betsy as well didn't she so that's everything is
2: done almost with a wink and a smile at the audience renee Zellwig's performance is really big nobody's taking it very seriously there's a bounce to the soundtrack i didn't know who this was for if you like your true crime this isn't the sort of true crime you'll be you'll be going for because it's just too off the wall and too zany and doesn't treat anybody involved with any degree of respect or dignity i couldn't understand it it was just weird i'd never seen anything quite so weird and tonally unbalanced as this it really threw me at first,
4: I was like, okay, so this is a dramatization of a Dateline episode, and then it just really went campy. And the thing that really kept coming back to me is like, it's being narrated by Keith Morrison. And if you watch a Dateline episode, he's deadly serious! And this is camp! I'm, I'm just wrapping my brains around there because it does also do that, that loop special because the opening scene was the actual... Russ discovering his wife Betsy's body and then freaking out. And then 20 minutes in, you get that scene played out. Maybe it was shot a different angle again. Mm -hmm. And what's the point? And like you said, I couldn't discern who this audience was. Again, the casting, most people were tuning into this who had heard about it because of Renee Zellweger and her performance as Pam Hupp, and the costuming, the makeup, the fat suit she was wearing, and so forth. And I was more interested in trying to discern her facial expressions and her body language and what she was doing more so than I actually cared about this poor woman, you know,
2: who was murdered. None of us, neither of us, I mean, Matt will, because he's having more time to think, but neither of us can remember the name of this Murder victim, which is not... Yeah, the well, I the can because sh- I
1: wrote it down because I was yeah. setting it
2: up. But how, is, how awful is that? Like, with the staircase, we know Kathleen is at the bottom of the staircase. I can tell you the names of the people that were killed in, in other dramas. They are front and centre. With this, it's called the thing about Pam, Pam's front and centre, and the murder victim, who's this real family with young daughters and a husband. is it a complete afterthought. So strange.
4: It's not one of those true crime shows where we're trying... Here's the evidence, you draw your own conclusion. It's literally right there from jump that Pam committed this murder.
1: I mean, you, you've you've sort of brought up a lot of shows already, but I think the one show that sort of did something similar with a murder case and sort of quirkiness was Landscapers.
2: Oh,
0: um, yes. With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
3: in that case, I pronounce you lucky.
0: Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: And we said at the time, is it disrespectful to the victims? But e- even in that, I think there was some sort of ch- there was charm to the Olivia Coleman and oh, who was the actor in that? Um, David Studds here just it's complete i mean renee zellweger's playing it like she's in desperate housewives i think that's the yes the, the nearest thing i can think of the whole sort of heightened tone i think the thing that works against it the most is the voiceover because it's signposting to the audience exactly what's happened we are led to believe pam did this the cctv at the drive-through for example he's he says keith morrison case of the
4: munchies yeah
2: this is going to sometimes just stopping at the petrol station Yeah. Yeah. yeah
4: so so i will say about dateline oftentimes in a typical episode you kind of know who the murderer is in some of those episodes and so you're just kind of walking back and trying to figure out and piece together the rationale behind the why so that to me in my mind tracks with how you know it'd be spawned from dateline mind maybe we've gotten past desperate housewives 10 years ago
2: there's also the argument that normally with shows like this i think the girl from plainville is a recent example but this is really recent this isn't set in the 90s or 2011 so 11 years years
1: ago but it's in in the
2: in the world of true crime which there is a lot they usually got a long time past, you know, when we did Des on ITV and even The Staircase was in the early 2000s. And But this is still quite fresh for this family and it paid them so little respect. I mean, I know it's based on reality, so the police ineptitude is, is another side of it, but I was just so bored with the police performances as well. They it's seem, based
1: on, sorry Luke, it's based on reality, but it's presented in a hyper-real yeah, way, you know. it's,
2: you it's don't believe
1: it's just it for bizarre. a second. And I think, Mo, you know, you're saying it's a why, done it? And, and, you know, as we said, like with Sherwood, but it would be like if Sherwood had a voiceover going, oh, he's got a bow and arrow now, he's the murderer. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it would be like. You know, the girl from Plainfield, if they said, oh, she's got all these texts, she, you know, she's convinced, oh, look at her, you know, she's pretending to be empathetic from watching Glee. That's where
2: the voiceover for me just completely ruined it. Yeah, I'm going to remember it for all the wrong reasons how truly odd it is and I'm amazed it wasn't savage at the time and that the people that were sort of involved in it didn't speak out more and say you're not doing justice to my mother's legacy or our family's background." They sort of made them a mockery and I've never seen anything like it um, if you want to check it out for yourself I know we're selling these shows really well this week the thing about Pam is available in full now on the UK's platform Paramount Plus.
1: We'd love to hear from you.
2: Drop us an email
1: custardtvreviews at gmail.com.
2: I love that for you, is our final offering this week, also on Paramount Plus, starring, exec produced, created, and written by Vanessa Breyer. Now, is she Vanessa? Vanessa Bayer. Is is she a a name you know? Vanessa Bayer and Molly Shannon Shannon.
4: are are both uh, Saturday Night Live alum. This feels like the type of show that an SNL alum would produce, would star in.
2: So Vanessa stars here as Joanna Gold. We meet her in the opening sequence. She's a young girl undergoing chemotherapy for leukemia she um is watching SVN, the sh- Home Shopping Network, watching uh, Molly Shannon sell some jewellery, tries to convince her parents to get it for her. She sort of gets herself lost in the world of home shopping and how they can sell things and make you believe in their stories. She then uses the fact that she's having this treatment as a reason to persuade the nurses to let her have some cake and some cookies that they were having. Flash forward now to Joanna in her 30s. She's still living at home with her parents and working in a Costco with her father. She uh, meets up with an old school friend who travels the world with her job and there she is working in Costco selling things on the side. Guacamole, was it? Guacamole, I think, yeah. But they're like testers. You can sort of have it for free and have a taste Mm. of it and buy some. So she uses her... Home shopping network obsession to sort of sell these things, but is deeply embarrassed when uh, she meets up with this old school friend. When we see her at home with her parents, it's clear that she's got this bit of arrested development, that she's never been seen as anything other than the girl with leukemia, and that her childhood experiences have sort of stopped her from moving on in her life and forming proper adult relationships. She finds that this home shopping network is high, is uh, looking for new presenters. She feels like she's uh, made for it. They ask her for an audition. They ask her to sell a pen. She does a really impassioned speech, which receives little to no response. But she does get a phone call from them, which means she has to move to a different city where there's so much fracking, you can't even drink the water. That was a, f- a good line. And uh, she sort of ingratiates herself within this shopping network, including uh, Molly Shannon, who she idolised as a child. She doesn't tell them about her cancer diagnosis, but we sort of learn that she doesn't know who she is. She's got no real story outside of that. So she has to keep thinking of things to say to them when they say, what's your story? What are you selling to me as in you a person? She can't really articulate it very well. It's a lot of cringe comedy there. She is good on air but lets herself down when she smells a perfume and does a face that indicates that it doesn't smell as good and the the sales tank and uh, she's almost going to get let go and just as she's let go, she shouts to the boss and says, you can't let me go, I have terminal cancer and the whole thing turns on its head. Um, so she, we assume she's going to stay there because they feel a level of responsibility and pity towards her uh, after hearing her news. Mo, what did you think? Yeah, I actually
4: watched the first ep- first two episodes of this. Honestly, I think for the first episode, it does a really good job of setting up Bayer's uh, a go character. She started to sell me on this character, supporting cast members such as uh, uh, Jennifer Lewis. The grandmother on Blackish, as uh, Patricia, the CEO of the the Special Value Network. You know, I love this line where she's telling her her assistant is like, um, "So when you get your asshole wax, does the waxer lady try to sell you a lawn more right after because she knows her audience?" You can tell that this character is driven by sales and the profit margin and crafting this narrative for her host that they live these perfect lives and when they deviate from that she's very quick to make sure that they fall back in 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 line the supporting cast again like molly shannon i thought you kind of warmed to her clearly her and joanna and certainly by if you watch in the second episode their relationship deepens especially once jackie learns that joanna has idolized her since she was a child and that one of the items Jackie was selling that Joanna still has. And and also we got a really interesting performance, I thought, by um, Aiden Meyer, who was one of the Jennifers on The After Party. She played Beth <laughs> Ann McGann. And, you I know, the, the quote-unquote, yeah. the mom influencer who's, quote-unquote, yeah. balancing career and self-care. I, I, I love that they've, they've set up that instant threat. And someone who certainly, by the end of the first episode, sees that joanna is a potential rival and as these things go i'm sure at some point they'll see eye to eye overall i i think that it's not what i would consider a must-see show i think it's an adequate show it's the type of show that hbo cinemax would have commissioned maybe 10 years ago mm. but it's perfectly it's perfectly adequate with
1: The thing about Pam, I think our thing was that the tone was all over the place, and I would say that for this as well, I never really knew where I was with this character. The first scene is her as a child in the hospital, watching this Home Shopping Network and stealing the cake, or not stealing the cake, but guilting the nurses into giving her the birthday cake of one of the nurses. And then the subsequent scenes, we've got two in a row of her being embarrassed. Firstly, that scene, Luke, you mentioned at the Costco, and then this scene with Jason Schwartzman playing this guy she's been on two dates with, who she's already sort of got hooked. you know, sees it a lot more serious relationship. And it's like, why are you embarrassing this character so much? You know, we, we've seen nothing so far that she needs to be sort of brought down. I thought the most interesting scenes for me were the ones at the Home Shopping Network, I was thinking, you know, this could actually be a good workplace sitcom, you know, all the characters there, the Molly Shannon character, the, the boss mo that you mentioned. But again, like, the reason they wanted to sack her was totally understandable. She made the face and cost them money, you know. It wasn't a real sort of mistake that wasn't her fault, which is often the way they're sort of unjustly sacked from these jobs. There was a clear reason for it. And then obviously... Her thing is to say, I've got cancer. I mean, I I liked Molly Shannon. I thought she was the best thing about this. She was sort of like the warm, motherly figure. But it was just weird
2: and all over the place. That was sort of where I was. What about you, Lou? It is perfectly adequate, as Mo says. There is something within me, though. I don't feel comfortable with the lie she told. I just just don't feel Mm. comfortable with it. As a premise for a show, I don't feel comfortable with... Keeping a job because you've told your co-workers you've got cancer. Because it means, effectively, that any goodwill or any warmth they show, you don't know whether it's genuine or because they feel empathy, sympathy, guilt, because of what they believe she's going through. So it sort of loses something there for me. I think it's a very tricky thing to work around. I think it would have worked a lot better if that was going to be the premise if she'd just come out and said, I've wanted to do this my whole life, I had cancer as a child, I struggled with my teenage years because I didn't develop, and please give me another chance, and then it becomes this workplace sitcom where you can have characters bounce off each other and talk to her about what it was like having cancer as a child, and then seeing her use that as a springboard to the dream she's always had. Instead, it's working in reverse where they believe she's got cancer and they're just sort of keeping her there, as awful as it sounds, waiting out the clock, which I don't think is a good idea for Or oh, it'll be
1: a case of, oh, cancer's gone away now, or something yeah, like but that. Right? Either,
2: either way, it won't be satisfying, because it just feels no. like a weird premise for a show, in a way.
4: Well, and I get what you're saying about the uncomfort level, but we've had a number of shows where you start off with a character who has done something that's quasi-gray, morally despicable, and they gradually win you over. And with this, I was more interested in that, again, that I found that I was a bit more interested in the workplace comedy and lying about her, her cancer diagnosis is one of those things where when it comes out, because it's clearly gonna come out at oh, some yeah. point, probably yeah. in this in this for how, depending on who finds out when, how does this situation evolve? So I can I can see both angles. Now now Matt, what you were saying about her as a character and feeling like the character is all over the place. Part of me re- re- reminded of Kimmy Schmidt and K- the Kimmy Schmidt character, and it was coming out of this very sheltered life and so forth. Just someone who's who's very socially awkward. But um, there was a reason for that,
1: Mo. And you know, th- there was an innocence to that character, whereas we don't really have that here. I-, I suppose part of the thing is we see her as a child, and then we see her as an adult, and we don't sort of know what's happened in the intervening years. I don't think, as Luke said, she's quite a sheltered character. But she still is quite wily and quite deceptive, and you know everything that happens to her here. It's under as I say, it's understandable why she gets sacked. There's not that innocence there. There's, and there was nothing that oh, I want to yeah. to root for this character. If anything, I wanted to root more for Molly Shannon than, than her. And
2: and there was a positivity to Kimmy Schmidt. She sort of looked at the world with wide eyes and would give anything a go, and and wasn't traumatised. To a degree about what had happened to her whereas i feel like and and i do believe that vanessa bayer has been through this as a child it is somewhat semi-autobiographical so she's obviously more comfortable with the topic than perhaps the three of us are and she can see the humor in it and the way of looking at it is unique to her but i don't know whether it can sustain the series i don't know if it should
4: could evolve past this and i, I think that it just—it really just depends on how the rest of the first season unfolds and where does it leave you going into you know a potential second season because because i can i can see where this this show could evolve into something particularly because just thinking about the types of shows that the saturday night live alum these these comedy shows you know they do a lot of them start out as one thing and then evolve into something different particularly a lot of the ones maybe that were on like network television but i think that this one it's showtime and i i feel as if there there, there's a lot of room for for growth and development you you just need that initial investment and i I, i'm not going to say that that I wouldn't give this a glowing review. I would say it's an adequate show. But in watching the first two episodes, I found something there that I'm interested in coming back to, to to watch more of when I have the time.
2: It's also that thing of it's going to have to come out because that is the way TV works. The character has a secret, they lie, and at some point their lie is exposed. And then it's how do you, as a comedy effectively move on when those characters know they've been lied to. And such a big lie as well, and such an important lie. So it's going to be... It's it's set out some interesting questions that I'm interested to see how it answers, but only via reading Wikipedia reviews and not by (laughs) watching the rest of it, I think. It's a shame because, as you say, if it was a workplace sitcom about this shopping network and the people that live there and how... This woman who was seen as an idol and as a star in Molly Shannon, but is actually this unhappy woman of a certain age who is just trying to move on and get a little bit of power. I could see myself watching that. I liked the other two, which was her other comedy that she's in. I think that's really strong. This, I feel, is a bit confused and a bit all over the place, like the podcast. I think we've been the most centred in all of this podcast because the shows themselves are a bit contrived a bit bit all over the place and a bit strange but um you can find I love that for you on Paramount Plus it's interesting that Paramount Plus have yet to have a proper hit here in the what? uk
1: i was just going to actually ask mo like you know our version of paramount plus i'm not sure if you're aware what's on there i know we reviewed what was it super pumped and mm-hmm. the man who fell to earth some of these shows are on paramount plus over there aren't they and some are on like you know we've got the offer we've got strange new worlds halo
4: so like the strange new worlds the halo the offer so when you're talking about these ones that originally aired on showtime they're not but they're working on bringing them on to paramount plus because showtime here in the states has its own streaming platform which is
2: weird in itself because got two competing platforms
4: that probably is more of a corporate thing and it goes back to what was going on before the restructuring and what paramount is like paramount global whatever it is now when it was Viacom and it was all this inviting and so forth. So it um, it's understandable why Showtime had it had its own fiefdom carved out, had its own pl- uh, streaming platform. HBO had its own platform. I'm sure it'll integrate at some point. There's talk about some sort of adding it as a tab here in our Paramount Plus. So we'll see. I, I think it'll all migrate. It'll all merge together at some time. The weirder thing is, is to me, is that thing about Pam being on paramount over there instead of peacock because dateline is a it is it's very much an nbc brand and that's weird for me we
1: gave examples to mo about how weird like our versions are of, of disney plus for example we did that off mic and it was one of the funniest things i wish we'd recorded it and mean just told mo that like the Walking Dead was on Disney Plus and Atlanta was on Disney Plus, and it was just blowing his mind.
2: My favorite thing is well, that Pam and Tommy is on Disney Plus.
4: Well, see, see, again, I can see that because that's Hulu. It's a Hulu original. Atlanta, because you know, if it's an FX drama, that yeah. over here it's you know next day on Hulu. It's The Walking Dead. <laughs> the and again, it still blows my mind whenever I think about this because for for the AMC streaming. <laughs> Platform like AMC Plus. This is their juggernaut. This is their baby. It's what keeps the lights on. And so, in my mind, it's on. It's on Disney. Yeah. And it it just. I mean,
1: Atlanta did get you at the time, though. I remember you. You were. Yeah. yeah, Atlanta's on Disney Plus over there. God, I thought
2: that was no. Just sounded just like the, the thing that annoys me, and Matt doesn't understand why it annoys me, but it does annoy me. The girl from Plainville where is that in the us it's on hulu because it's a hulu original yeah where is it over. where is it here would you imagine you know if you listen to the podcast last week wait a
4: minute, wait wait wait, it? wait hold on <laughs> i did listen to that and i thought that's I sw- y'all said amazon
2: well it's through amazon it's called stars play
4: what is that a tab we've wait, so wait, got, got to the pay s- the subscription and then
1: and on top of that you've got to pay an extra £5.99 or, so, or thereabouts
2: for. But it's Stars, Stars play. as in S T A R Z, like the the Stars movie channel. Yeah. Stars play oh, with the girl weird. from Plainville. Why didn't that go straight to uh, Disney Plus? It's an F- uh, Hulu show. I'm worried about The Bear, which is a show I really like. I hope that goes straight to Disney Plus. It worries me. It shouldn't. And it's why I'm dying I, I, early. I, I just say you're weird to worry that much
1: about it or to think well, that I, much I wish
2: about I, it. I wish I understood it. Why I wish I understood why things go where they do. because Money th- is the answer. Yeah, Money. Yeah. Always- <laughs> Money. Thank you so much, Mo. Remind us again, your podcast is Geek Confidential. That's correct, isn't it?
4: Yeah, it's Geek Confidential.
2: Yeah, you can find them online where all podcasts can be found. There's a website that goes with it as well ours is the custard tv.com we will be back next
1: time just to tie it all together with a nice little bow three uh, emmy nominated performances on the next uh, podcast with uh, Nicholas nicholas and l fanning in the great and yeah. andrew garfield in under the banner of heaven
2: okay hulu show went straight to disney plus that makes sense to me see
1: you soon bye 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 Rate and review us wherever you find
0: us. Search The Custard TV on YouTube, iTunes, and Facebook. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?